Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Erica, for reading. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. My name is Eric, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Um, And even though for my last three meals, I've had tacos, (laughs) I'm still so excited for today because these tacos are amazing. Uh, it's, It's fun. It's exciting to be with all of you here on our fall kickoff. And a part of what we do uh, as we launch into the fall is we begin a new teaching series. So our series, you can see it here on the front of your bulletin, we'll be looking at the book of 1 Peter. We're calling the series A Living Hope. And 1 Peter, as the name suggests, was written by Peter. So he's the, uh, the apostle, Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was one of... Uh, One of the disciples who was on Jesus's, really his inner circle. So out of everybody who's lived in human history, he knew Jesus uh, maybe uh, the closest. He observed him firsthand. And we saw a few weeks ago that even though Peter did fail Jesus greatly, he was chosen by Jesus, even in spite of that failure, to be the leader of the early Christian movement the early church. And this letter is one of two letters that Peter wrote. So this is someone who knew Jesus so well, if we would want to learn who Jesus is, what it means to follow him, we couldn't think of a better person to learn from than Peter. So that's one of many reasons why this uh, letter is worth studying. But why First Peter for us now as a church? Well, after this summer reading through 1 Peter, it was in our Bible reading plan this summer, I was personally just so drawn to it for my own life and for us uh, as a church. Something I felt like our church needed deeply to hear is the message in this letter. Why? A lot of reasons. Well, first, uh, 1 Peter gives us a theology of joy. It gives us a theology of holiness, and it gives us a theology of witness. First Peter shows us how the Christian life is meant to bring us deep emotional well-being, joy in the heart of our souls. First Peter tells us How our Christian life is meant to develop in us true character from the inside out. It's what he calls holiness. 1 Peter shows us how our Christian life is also meant to give our lives great purpose, that our lives can reveal something to other people of the glory and the beauty of God. And he calls that witness. So my Christian friends here and 
spending time with you and talking with you, I know that you would say, that is the Christian life that I want. That I want to experience deep emotional well-being joy, true change of character, what Peter calls holiness, and purpose, a great purpose for my life. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you might say, those are some of the things that make me interested, that draw me to Jesus, to Christianity, this idea of, of a deep abiding sense of joy, of a, a change in my character and of a purpose that is greater than myself. But here is the thing. It's the thing that most drew me in to 1 Peter, and it's the thing that I'm most afraid of, to be honest, in 1 Peter. And that's this. It's the major theme in the book of 1 Peter. And it has to do with the way, the manner, the pattern that God tells us is how we get this kind of life, how we grow into this Christian life. And that's this. It is in and through suffering, hardships, struggles, that God leads us further into joy, into holiness, and into witness. And those are really the two things. If I were to pick two things that this book is all about, that I'm both really, really excited to and drawn to, but also I, I approach with a lot of fear and trembling myself, is that this is a letter about suffering. And this is also a letter about hope. It's a letter of suffering. I have a slide I'm going to put up so you can see this. It's a letter about suffering. So as this an, an, is an introductory message, here is what we have to look forward to in 1 Peter. And it's very challenging. Peter would, would have us be challenged with this. It is our avoidance of, our fear of, our refusal to accept, our confusion about, our discouragement from, our getting stuck in, our suffering, our trials, our struggles that leads to our lack of joy, holiness, and witness. This is the part that makes me fearful and trembling for myself and for all of us. But there's more. This is the flip side and the main message of this letter. If we could go to the next slide. It's not just a letter about suffering. This is a letter about living hope. That because of Jesus, we can have great hope that no matter what our suffering, no matter what our trial is, no matter what our struggle is, God is leading us further into joy, further into holiness, and further out into witness. And First Peter shows us how this is. How does this happen in all kinds of settings and situations that we encounter in our lives? Today, in this introductory message to the book, I want to look at just two points. What I see as the two major points in this letter, one, this suffering, the suffering that shakes us, and two, the hope, the hope that Peter says we can have because of Jesus that upholds us no matter what we are suffering. So first, let's look at the suffering 
that shakes us. Why did Peter write this letter? It's a good question to ask anytime you're studying any book of the Bible. Why was this book written? Why was this letter written? And Peter gives us, if you have your Bible, you can flip there, the reason, not all um, New Testament authors give us the exact reason why they're writing this letter, but he states it very clearly in chapter 5, verse 12. He says this, I have written to you to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So there's some implications to what Peter is saying there. He's writing because his readers need encouragement. So I've written to encourage you. They're discouraged. He says, I'm writing to you to tell you, to testify, this is the true grace of God because they were beginning to lose sight of God and of His grace in their lives. And he says, I'm writing to you so you could stand firm because their lives were being so shaken, the implication is, that they were having trouble even standing. So he says, here's a letter for you to get up and to keep standing. Their suffering, as we'll see in the coming weeks, had shaken them. And when we're shaken by our suffering... We need a voice outside of our lives to come alongside us, to help us see what we lose sight of, to help us stand. And the Bible teaches that this is the function of the Bible itself and the function of other people in our lives, our Christian community, to be that voice for us. You could just turn to the front of your bulletin. Every time we have a new sermon series, we do change the graphic, and we actually work with a design company to come up with these graphics, and we go back and forth. But I had sent uh, to the design people that we work with just the idea for this sermon series, and we went back and forth on a few designs, but then they, they showed me this. And the designer explained, here's, when I heard what this letter is all about, here's what I came up with. Here's the picture that came to mind. And I thought, this is exactly what 1 Peter is saying in visual form. This is an eclipse. We've got the moon overshadowing part of the sun. And this is what he said, and it struck me, that isn't that how it feels when life is shaking us, that we lose sight of the gospel, that we lose sight of God, that we lose sight of hope. It's not that hope isn't there. It's not that God isn't there but we just can't see it because in our suffering, it's being eclipsed. But since we can't see it, we need a voice outside of us to remind us. And my prayer for my life and for your life is that this letter, 1 Peter, would be that voice to you this morning and the weeks to come to encourage those who because of suffering, trial, and difficulty are losing sight of God's grace to stand firm in it again. That's why Peter is writing, because they were, they were facing this eclipse in their lives. But who is he writing for? Look back at the text in verse 1. Peter wrote this letter not just for one specific church. Do you notice all the different regions listed there in verse 1? Galatia, Cappadocia. Uh, Bithynia, all these different places. 
He wrote to many different churches in many different regions, which means that these, all these people, all these Christians, people who had recently come to uh, commit their lives to following Jesus were all experiencing the same thing. They were all going through the same experience. Their suffering, their difficulties were shaking their lives and shaking their faith. So there's an application here for all of us, first, on that point, and that is, this is something that everyone goes through. This is something that every Christian experiences. This week when I was in a conversation with two friends, one of these friends was sharing some real struggles, and we were, we were dialoguing about these struggles that were pretty hard. I'll never forget what my other friend said to this friend as he was listening with compassion. He said to him, I pronounce you normal. I pronounce you normal. I never heard it said like that. And there was great compassion in that, in that this person was saying, I am struggling so much and I'm having such a hard time with it. My other friend said, I pronounce you normal. That's a part of human experience. And sometimes we need to hear that. First Peter gives us this hard but important truth of what we should expect in life as a normal part of human experience and of Christian experience. Here are the words that Peter uses throughout the letter to describe the situation that they're facing, what their lives feel like. Chapter 4, verse 12, he says, it's like you're in a fiery ordeal. He says that's normal. He calls it a testing, again in chapter 4. He says that's, that's normal to feel like that. Chapter 1, verse 6, you're going through various trials and grief. Peter says that's normal. He uses the word suffering throughout the letter. He says that's normal. He says there's all kinds of difficulty that I'm facing in this life. Peter says, chapter 4, 18, that's normal. Chapter 2, verse 11, it's like I'm in a battle for my soul, like a war is waging inside of me. And Peter says, and that's normal. Now, I really don't like saying this because for me, just to say it's normal does not mean I'm saying it's easy because it isn't easy. It shakes us, shakes us to the core. And many Christians who had committed their lives to following Jesus were very surprised by this. They were surprised at the reality of their suffering. First of all, they were surprised that it was happening because something in them kind of had this assumption or expectation that if I follow this Jesus, then maybe God will prevent or lessen my suffering. And secondly, some of them were thinking, how can it be that now that I am a Christian, how can it be that my suffering and my difficulty still shake me to the core? I thought my faith was stronger. Maybe God doesn't love me after all. Maybe I'm not a Christian after all. Maybe Christianity doesn't work. It isn't true. All these things were happening and they were surprised when they were shaken that badly. 
Let me share this illustration. If you had a, a friend come to you and say, um, I need your advice. There's something going on in my life, and it's hard. Um, help me. I don't know what to do. My, my wife, say they're married, my wife or my husband and I were having conflict, so I don't think we should be married. Or, help, raising kids is so hard. My kids aren't listening to me. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be a parent. Maybe I don't think I can be a parent anymore. Or you would, somebody comes to you and says, school is really challenging for me right now. I think I should drop out and quit school. Maybe you see the point I'm making. You might want to tell this person, well, that's all normal. A normal marriage has conflict. Parenting is normally difficult. And school is normally challenging at times. My favorite marriage book title of all time is entitled, What Did You Expect? And two question marks. And you can hear that in in different ways. What did you expect? And just like, get over it, it's difficult. Or you could hear it like, what did you expect? It's actually one of the most important questions we need to wrestle with in life and in marriage. What are my expectations? The last week we spent some time as a staff uh, doing some training together. We were watching this video together. And the the person teaching was talking about expectations and how in all of our relationships, this idea of expectations is so important. And they were making this point, an expectation is only valid if it is conscious, aware of it, if it's realistic, if it's spoken and agreed upon, conscious, realistic, spoken and agreed upon. First Peter, as a letter, is setting our expectations for the Christian life, for life. You need to be aware of yours, Peter says. They need to be realistic. They need to be based on what God has told us in his word and finally agreed upon. Rather, probably better, submitted and surrendered to. Now, I'm not saying anything new to anybody when I say life has suffering, life is challenging, life is difficult. Say, okay, thank you. (laughs) That's an obvious point. But here's the thing. In suburban Orange County, isn't it true that we spend so much of our energy and our time trying to build and create a suffering-proof life, a difficulty-free life? a comfortable life. One of my pet peeves I'm going to share with you uh, in this world is it has to do with parking. So I'm the kind of person that gets really bothered when um, people like fight and bottleneck a parking lot just to get like 20 feet closer to wherever they want to go. I will always say, let's just go over here to all the parking in the back It's all spaced out and we will all be happy. And all we have to do is walk like 20 more feet. And it's good to get the exercise. So it bothers me. Um, I was going to meet somebody for lunch and there's in uh, the Spectrum and there's a parking garage, huge parking garage in the Spectrum. And I was driving up and I love it because it tells you how many, exactly how many spots are available in the garage and where it's full, 
right? Don't go over there. It's full. So I love that. And so I'm driving up this ramp, and there's a car in front of me, and right there the sign says, that way, 1,013 spots. That way, full. And where did the car in front of me turn? Right. And it bothered me a lot. I turned left. Why do I share that? To me, it's a picture of how so much of us use our energy, spend our time, and build our expectations. Although we know, obvious point, life is hard and difficult, we all tend to hope for, seek after a way that we could turn right, a suffering-free life, a difficulty-free life, a comfortable life. First Peter is saying, there are no spots there. Set your expectations right and turn left. He says, that's the better way. And that's what we're going to talk about. How is that a better way in just a moment? But before we do that, what kind of suffering is First Peter talking about? What kind of suffering and hardship should we expect in life? First Peter gives us a uniquely Christian answer to that. He says, um, actually, the answer is fairly straightforward. You just need to look at Jesus, the one you're following. You should expect a life like his. So a part of the suffering we experience in First Peter, we'll talk more about this as we move on, uh, has to do with a social cost, a social hardship. We'll see that in the letter, um, A, maybe the main source of their hardship was the social cost they experienced for being a Christian. Identifying as a Christian, living like one faithfully in a culture where they were a minority, where they were pushed to the margins and they were so different, it brought them ridicule. Many people misunderstood them and some mistreated them. And that was very hard. And Peter says, don't expect to be powerful. Don't expect to be in charge. Don't expect to be dominant in your culture. Jesus wasn't. And he impacted the world like no one else. There's a social aspect to it. There's also a spiritual aspect to it. I already said in um, chapter 2, Peter says, it's like as we enter into this life of following Jesus, we enter into something that feels like a war. There's a a spiritual war happening on the inside. He says later in chapter 4 that when we suffer in the flesh, we learn to live no longer for human desires but for God's will. So spiritual growth almost always feels like death. And we say, ouch. I don't want it to feel like that. It's hard. It shakes us. Peter says, don't expect the way God will deal with your sin to to build character in you to be painless and easy. Dealing with our sin was not painless for Jesus. Social, spiritual, and also circumstantial. He says, various trials will hit you in your life and you will feel grief. Don't expect life always to be comfortable and easy without things that cause you grief, sometimes grief that goes very deep. Life was not like this for Jesus. Now, I know this is hard truth. It's a hard pill to swallow that. In this life, we can expect to be shaken by suffering. It's a normal part of human experience and Christian experience. 
That is the hard part of, that, of this letter. But that's not the main message. That's the situation Peter was writing to, and this was the main message he had for them. After you suffer, Peter says in chapter 5, God himself will restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. How does this happen? The main message, Peter says, is that there is a hope that upholds us no matter how life shakes us. There are three things I want to show you in my second point that are all found in this short introduction that Peter develops and teaches throughout the letter that show us the hope that is found in Jesus and in the Christian life, that no suffering can stop, that no suffering can thwart, that in fact all suffering, all trials, all difficulties can only push us deeper into the joy and the holiness and the witness that God has for us in his love. Hope answers three questions that we have when we are shaken by our struggles. Let's look at these one by one. These questions are questions that Peter answers in 1, 1, and 2 in this introduction. First question is, where am I? This is the first thing Peter does for those who are shaken and confused and discouraged by their suffering. It's to make sure they know where they are, where they are. When things get hard in life, often, and we say this, We say, I feel disoriented. I feel lost. And Peter says, that's normal to feel like sometimes, where am I? Look at verse 1. He says in his letter that this letter is for those living as exiles dispersed abroad. Now, who is he talking about? The people who first read this, at first, they were probably very jarred by this, very, very confused by this. When he says exiles... They would say, who is he talking to? Because, as most scholars believe, and I agree, they were living where they had always lived. They could say, I was born in Pontus. I'm not an exile. I've lived in Galatia for 25 years. Why is he calling me an exile? I'm not in diaspora. I'm not dispersed out. What is Peter saying? He's saying this. When you become a Christian... You have a new answer to the question, where am I? Like a new location. And you need to know this to understand and find hope in your suffering. The term Peter uses to describe where they are, exiles who are dispersed abroad, that comes from really the entire Old Testament story, stretching through the whole story of the Old Testament and the Jewish people from Eden and the exile from Eden to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were sojourners and foreigners, to the wilderness journey, to the Jewish people's exile from their own land, to their existence spread out over all the world. The word exiles, it can be translated foreigners or resident alien. It's used to describe someone who lives in a place where they don't hold citizenship. We kind of know what this looks like in our country. It's like you have a green card. You're living somewhere. You're residing somewhere that's not your home. So when you feel like you're lost and asking, where am I? Peter says, you're residing and living in a place that is not your home. He's saying, like an exile, 
No matter what comforts we have and, and enjoy, no matter what things we can acquire, what experiences we can have, no matter what luxuries we earn, no matter whether we're living and building our dream home or on our dream vacation, Peter says none of these things can really be home. Share an illustration for me. The nicest place that I've ever stayed uh, is the Ritz-Carlton in Maui. Thanks to my friend from college, we got to stay there. Super nice. And sometimes when my life is hard, <laughs> I just imagine I'm in the Ritz-Carlton Maui again. It's like my happy place. If I could just live there. But the reality is after about a week, maybe two weeks, maybe two months, I don't know, I would, I would at some point be ready to come home, to come back to the place that I call home, to my bed, to being in a place where I know where everything is, to being in a place where I could say, this is really home. The person who I think describes this better than anyone else, I've used this reflection quote many times here at Trinity in the bulletins, is J.R. Tolkien. He says, what is that experience? We all long for Eden, and we are constantly glimpsing it our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with a sense of exile. Peter is saying to become a Christian is finally to get a clear answer to why. Why for us in 2019 living in Southern California, one of the world's most comfortable, safe, wealthy places, why are we still, still so shaken by loneliness, homesickness, loss, and unhappiness? To be a Christian is to have an answer to the question, why? If this world is all there ever was, all there is, and all there ever will be, then why are we not comfortable here? Why are we not happy here? Why are we never fully at home in this world? Peter says, it's because you're not home. You are exiles. How does this give us hope? This way. To find living in true hope, we first have to let go of false hopes. Of the hope of being fully at home here. The hope of being told you are not home is that there is a home for you. If you are in exile, that means there is a home. You're just not living there right now. This sense of living soaked with a sense of exile, it's not a cosmic joke. It's not something that we can just set aside. It's God's homing beacon for us to come home to him. And that in, because of Jesus' resurrection in the new creation and resurrection life, we will be at home. Where am I? Peter says, you're not at home. Secondly, he answers the question, who am I? When you begin uh, an email or any type of letter that you write, you begin by identifying who you're writing to with their name or their title. When people write me, they say, dear Eric or dear pastor. Or if you write to your spouse, dear husband or wife. And that's how the New Testament letters usually begin. That's how Peter begins this letter. He says this in verse 1, to those chosen, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. All those who believe in Jesus have this identity and this name, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, as you read that and think about that, though there is a lot of theological mystery to chew on and material to think about there, Peter did not write this for, for people to debate theology on God's eternal plans and human choice. He was writing to people who in their suffering were wondering who they really were. They were struggling with their identity. And Peter says, here is your true identity, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But isn't that what our suffering and trials often do to us? They often bring us back to the question, who am I? Who am I? If I lose this job, if I don't get that promotion, who am I? If I lose this person and this relationship, who am I? I'm not sure who I am anymore. Or if I fail, if I struggle in this way, if this is so hard for me, then who am I? If I get criticism, if I lose people's approval or people's acceptance, who am I? This passage says, here is who you are by faith in Jesus. You are God's son and God's daughter. Loved by the Father from all eternity, just like Jesus. Now, foreknowledge here, it does not just mean that God knew things ahead of time, like he knew ahead of time he could look into the future. That's not exactly what this is talking about because when the Bible speaks of God's foreknowledge, it says God foreknows people, not just things that will happen. He foreknows people. He's talking about you and me personally. It means that God, before eternity passed, had set his love upon you. Why? Because he set his love upon you. This is an identity you don't earn. It was yours before you did anything. It's an identity you can't lose. Nothing can take it from you. Now, isn't it true? The more you live, if I can get... And amen on this one. The more you live, the more you're able to look back at things your parents did that at the time there were things that you felt like they were so terrible, they were the worst thing that they could ever do, so wrong and the worst. Now, from your vantage point, you look back and go, they were loving me. They were doing it with my best in mind. How much more? From the vantage point of eternity, Peter is saying that we can rest in knowing because I am God's son and God's daughter, that even though I don't understand what's happening to me right now, that he has my best in mind. He loves me. How does this give us hope? Well, in order to discover our true identity, who we really are, our true name, our true self, we must lose our false identities and false selves. And that always hurts. It almost always happens through suffering. When we say, how could God love me and what's going on in my life? Peter says, Why don't you flip that over and ask this? How could God love me if he didn't do anything it took to teach me 
how I am loved with an eternal love that nothing can take away from me. A love I can't earn or lose. That's Peter answering the question, who am I? Finally, the question we all ask when we're suffering hard things, final question is this, why is this happening? Why is this happening? This was what Peter's readers, they wanted to know. Why is this happening? And let me say this first. It would be, I believe, um, wrong and pastoral malpractice for me to try to be very specific with you. I don't know exactly all of your struggles, but if I were to say that you can find the very specific reason for your specific trials, why this particular thing is happening in my life, that you would need to find the reason for this, I would say sometimes we know that reason. Sometimes we don't know it until much later in our lives, and sometimes we never know the specific reason for what's going on until we are with Jesus in the next life. But what I can say and what Peter says here in this text is that even when we can't see the very specific reason why what is happening is happening, when we're going through something hard, we can know and we need to remember God's eternal and overarching purpose for our lives that there is a why that we can know about. And he says in verse 2, he tells us what that is. We are chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient. When we become a Christian, Peter is saying the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That means he sets us apart for a new purpose. And he says that's to be obedient. Or it's called sanctification, to become holy. This is the purpose that God has for us that's overarching our entire lives and everything that's happening in our lives. The big why answer is this. God's purpose for us is to become more like Jesus, to be secure in the Father's love, to know his joy, to grow into the character of Jesus and to join his mission. And when we ask, why is this happening? Peter says, God is not punishing you. He is purifying you to make you more like Jesus. I wish I could tell you there was a different way, but there is no other way. There is one way to become like Jesus. Enjoy holiness and witness. There's one pattern that God uses to do this work in our lives. And it's the pattern throughout 1 Peter. Peter says it is a pattern and the path of suffering to glory. That's the power that saved us, Jesus' suffering and his glory, it's the pattern whereby God sanctifies us and changes us. How does this give us hope? To find our true purpose, we first will have to learn to let go of all lesser purposes. And God loves us too much to allow us to settle for a lesser purpose than to find our true joy in him and to develop a genuine holiness of life and to become people who can witness to his glory and his grace. So Peter tells us, this is the hope that can uphold us, no matter what is shaking us. God is leading us to our true home. God is reminding us of who we are, our true identity, and he's giving us our true purpose. So, how can we hold on to that hope? How does that hope uphold us when we don't feel it, when we can't see it, when it's like it's being eclipsed? 
and the light isn't breaking through. The final phrase here in chapter 1 is Peter says, here's who you are. You are those sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient, to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. This last phrase, to be obedient and sprinkled with blood, is a reference to how God's covenant promise was sealed in the sprinkling of blood. That sounds weird to us right now. We'd be like, why would I want to be sprinkled with blood? But this is the way that a covenant promise was sealed in the Old Testament. This is how God sealed his covenant with Israel in Exodus 24. It's saying this, we're making a promise and we're putting our lives down as collateral for this promise. It's a way of saying, if I break this promise, I forfeit my life. That's the hope that you can have that I will keep this promise, my very life. And friends, this is the hope of the gospel that can uphold us no matter what is shaking us, even when we can't feel it, even when we struggle to see it, that though on our side we have been unfaithful, God on his side has been faithful even unto death. That is the gospel of Jesus. And when Jesus died and he suffered the full weight of God's justice for our sin and carried all our, so- our sorrow, all our brokenness, when he bled and shed his blood, he experienced the ultimate exile. He was loved from eternity as God's son, always secure in his identity. He was eternally at home and he lost all of that when he suffered for us and shed his blood. He asked the question, where am I? Who am I? And what is happening? You know, he asked that question on the cross. He says, why is this happening? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He still asked, even though he knew the answer when he cried that out. Why was that happening to Jesus? Why would he leave his eternal home? Why would he knowingly enter into an experience where he lost his identity as the loved son of the father? It was for us. So we would have hope. So we would know that God is faithful to keep his promise to us. So that no matter what is happening, no matter how our lives have been shaken, we can stand on the reality that we are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. If he has gone that far for us, will he not carry us all the way home? That's hope that can uphold us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now I pray that you would meet us. Whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, whatever thing that we are facing, whatever trial that's in our life, whether big or small, I pray that we would be able to see that you would break through light into our darkness that you would remind us of what we so easily lose sight of and that you would give us deep 
hope, knowing that your promise is something we can count on, that you have shown us as clearly as you possibly could that it's something that we can stand on no matter what. Help us stand this morning. Help us help others stand. And help us to rejoice, to have a renewal of faith, to remember where we are, who we are, and what you are doing in our lives. And may that give us a deep and abiding sense of hope. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.